Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are king of the world. And Lord, as we look at the world and, and see just terrible things happening all around, we see evil all about us. Lord, still yet we can be assured that you are king of the world. You are still sovereign. You are still on your throne. You rule and reign. And everything is going according to plan for your eternal plan. And Lord, all of the tragedy that we see about us, Lord, just makes us long all the more for that day when you will return and make all things perfect and right. So Lord, we say today together, Come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray it would be today. We pray that you not linger long. But as we remain here, Lord, and as we wait on that time, Lord, we pray that we would be obedient followers of Christ. Lord, that we would listen to your rule and reign in our lives and that we would be obedient children and citizens of your kingdom. But Lord, today, teach our hearts obedience through your word. And this I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 16 this morning. 1 through 16, and actually a little bit up there in chapter 19. Do things a little bit different this morning instead of reading it all together. I'm going to work through it in a moment uh, as we go, kind of go through it and explain some things in this parable. We are working through kingdom parables, and we've been do on this for a while. We took a break for the Solas series, but now we're back on kingdom parables. And you remember, kingdom parables, uh, they are, they have two purposes. First, they are a judgment, a judgment for those who fail to hear the plain teaching of the gospel. If they won't hear the plain teaching of the gospel, Jesus will speak to them in parables. But they are also a blessing for those who do receive the plain teaching of the gospel as they bring more insight into the teaching of the kingdom. It brings insight to things that we can't understand. It brings insight to those invisible things of the kingdom. And today we see one of those parables that is uh, geared more towards, aimed towards a blessing, as it is aimed towards the disciples themselves. Jesus is teaching here his disciples. And so this is meant to be a blessing. This is meant to bring greater light to Jesus' teaching to his disciples so that's what we're going to see today as we study God's generosity towards sinners, God's generosity towards sinners in the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Now the name Stradivarius is synonymous with fi fine violins. Uh, that's all because Antonius Stradivarius insisted that no instrument ever leave his shop that wasn't near perfection 
as perfect as humanly possible. Stradivarius observed that God needs violins to send his music into the world, and if any violins are defective, God's music will be spoiled. His work philosophy was summed up in one sentence. Other men will make other violins, but no man shall make a better one. Now, it's paramount in life to strive for excellence. I believe in striving for excellence. Always do your very best. In fact, Scripture even tells us, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So we should always set high standards for ourselves and strive for excellence in life. The problem that we get into, however, is when we begin to impose our human high standards on God's generosity and grace. We might begin to, to look at our fellow Christians and perhaps those who are not as far along in their Christian walk as we are and think, well, <laughs> look at me, I deserve a much higher position in heaven than they you remember the disciples, they thought this on a few occasions, even arguing amongst themselves who would be the greatest in the kingdom. Or we might begin to look at others and uh, even begin to make for ourselves different classes of Christians. We think of the missionaries and preachers and deacons and all of those who serve in these places of leadership in the kingdom and, and set them up on a pedestal high above everyone else. We begin to think of ourselves better than others. But as we look at this parable today, in God's economy of grace, human standards of worthiness cannot compare to God's generosity toward sinners. Let me say that again. Human standards of worthiness cannot compare to God's generosity toward sinners. Well, let's look at our parable this morning. Now, this really begins back in verse uh, chapter 19. If you look back in chapter 19, verse 16, you see this is the, uh, the episode, the uh, Jesus' engagement there with the rich young man. The rich young man came to Jesus and asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him, he said, Well, keep the commandments. He said, Well, which ones? Well, you know, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, honor your father and mother. And love your neighbor as yourself. And the rich young man said, well, all of these I've kept since, since my childhood, since birth. Yet what else do I lack? You see, he understood that he still lacked something. And Jesus told him, go sell all that you own and give to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven and come follow me. And the passage says that the rich young man went away sorrowful. Because he had many possessions. He had great possessions. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and says to them, Oh, how difficult it is 
for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Indeed, it is, more, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the gates of the kingdom. And this disturbed the disciples. They wondered, now, what do you mean? If, a, if this man can't get into the kingdom, then, then what hope is there for any of us? You see, they still had this kind of idea, which was common in the day, that the more wealthy people, well, they were obviously blessed by God. They were obviously, they were good, they were do-gooders. They did right because God had blessed them with so much. And so the people had this idea, so the disciples said, well, how, what, what hope is it for any of us? If he's not going to make it, how are we going to make it? And Jesus turns to them and says, indeed, with man it, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And then this leads to Peter asking a question there. He asked a question there in verse 27 of, of chapter 19. Then Peter said to him and said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? See, Peter is, is getting these thoughts in his mind. We've left everything. Look how much we have sacrificed for you, Lord, compared to all of these others. Look what we have given up for you. What then will we have in your kingdom and Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left house, or brother, or sister, or father, or mother, or children, or land, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But, notice that, but, it's an alternate statement, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Now what in the world does that mean? What is he saying there? Well, he goes on to explain. And that brings us into our parable today. For... For, in verse 1 of chapter 24, are because the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning and hired laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarii a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, this is a farmer, a landowner, someone who is quite wealthy, and he has a vineyard there, and it's, it's harvest season. And so he has normal workers who work for him day in, day out, year round. But then when it comes harvest time, he needs extra help to get in the harvest. And so at the, in those days, they would just go out to the marketplace. That's where the, the common laborers would hang out. And they would hang out there and wait for someone to come hire them, especially during harvest time. And so that's what this landowner does. He goes out to the marketplace and he goes to hire laborers to come work in his vineyard. 
Now, you understand that in this day, they didn't work on eight-hour days like we typically do, or even 10-hour days. They worked on 12-hour days. They would work for 12 hours to get in the harvest. And so that's going to be important as we read through the rest of this parable. So he goes out early in the morning before work time began, and he goes and he finds laborers to go work in his vineyard and to gather the harvest of his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went going out again about the, uh, so they went in. Going out again about the sixth and ninth hour, he did the same. So he's gone out all of these different times of the day, he's gone and collected more workers. Say, you go into my vineyard. You quit sitting around, go in my vineyard, and help with the harvest. Here's where it changes. Here's where we get a little twist in it. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because... No one has hired us. No one has hired us. Now, think about what they're saying. Uh, why have you been standing here idle all day? They didn't come back with this answer of, well, we're just lazy, right? Their answer is not one of laziness. They, they just say, well, no one's hired us. In other words, no one has found us worthy to go work in their vineyard. Now, have you ever been out on the playground and getting ready to play kickball? And you start, you know, two captains, and you start picking the, the players, and it comes down, there's that last person. Have you ever been the last person? Right? The first people who are picked are always the big athletes, right? The best ones in, in kickball. That's who gets picked first. And then it's the last person. I don't want him. You want him? No, I don't really want him. Well, some of, one of us has got to take him, right? Well, that's what these, these workers are. They're the last ones to be picked, right? They're the ones that no one else has wanted. And now here it is, the 11th hour, the day is almost done, and this landowner comes out and says, hey, go into my vineyard, get to work, and I will, I will, I will bless you, I will pay you. All right, so let's continue on. And they, they said to him, because no one has hired us, he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one of them, each of them received a denarius. Now, you remember from last week, if you were here, a denarius is one day's wages for a laborer. And so each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. I mean, it makes sense, right? 
he'd hired them and, and agreed with them that they would work for Denarius. That's what it says up there at the beginning. But, hey, he hired these guys that he, he or he paid these guys that he hired, hired at the 11th hour a Denarius. So certainly he will pay us even more. But it says, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last workers only worked an hour, and you have made them equal to us? Who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat? You mean we have done all of this work and you're going to raise these other guys? Who's only done an hour's worth of labor? You're going to make them equal to us? They're saying, no fair. This, ain't, this is not fair. This isn't right. But the master replied to one of them, friend. Notice his grace. Notice his grace. Even when these laborers, these workers are throwing a fit, he doesn't say, well then forget you. Next time I won't even hire you. He says, friend. Friend. I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to these last workers as I, I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you, or do you begrudge my generosity? Are you jealous over my goodness? Therefore, so, the last will be first. And the first last. In other words, all finish together. All are given the reward and the prize. And that's how it is in the kingdom of heaven. This is how it is in the kingdom of heaven. When it's all said and done, guess what, dear friends? We cross the line together. We receive the heavenly reward together. And there's no sense of, well, I'm better than you are. So let's look at this parable. And this, from this parable, I want to draw out three important truths. Three important truths that we see here in this text. The first important truth that we need to see, God's generosity will not be confined by human standards of worthiness. God's generosity will not be confined by human standards of worthiness. Again, going back to verses 6 and 7, those workers were out there. They had been out there all day. They had been waiting for someone to come hire them, and no one came to hire them. And this generous, kind landowner, this generous farmer came out and says, all right, well, go in. Go into my vineyard, and I will pay you. You see, he didn't hold to everyone else's standard of, of worthiness. 
He saw them. They needed work. They needed to, to do to take care of their family. And he was generous toward them and invited them into his vineyard. Thus it is with the Lord. Thus it is with the Lord. His generosity will not be confined by human standards of worthiness. His generosity is not confined by race. His generosity is not confined by race. And that is an, a very important point when we talk about the book of Matthew. You see, we have to understand the book of Matthew and the whole context of that book. Matthew is writing generally <clears throat> to Jewish hearers, a Jewish audience. That's why we see over and over through his gospel that uh, these kinds of statements here, if you look over there in chapter 21, verses 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And if you go through Matthew and read Matthew's gospel, you see that repeated over and over and over again. Matthew is always pointing back to the Old Testament to show that Jesus is the prophesied uh, Messiah who was to come. That's because he's writing to a typically a Jewish, a predominantly Jewish audience. And so he's trying to show them this is the one whom the prophets have been telling us about. Well, as he is writing this, as he is recording this parable, that's on his mind. Because the Jewish mindset thought that, that if you weren't a Jew, you weren't going to get in. They were somewhat racist towards the Gentiles. They saw the Gentiles as pretty much the scum of the earth. Unclean, unpure. And they thought of themselves as God's people. But here Jesus comes to overthrow those thoughts completely. And we see in the New Testament over and over again, the New Testament writing to overthrow that kind of uh, ideology. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. In other words, it's not the power of salvation for just the Jews, but it's the power of salvation for everyone who believes. Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 he will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing, seeking for glory and honor and immorality, and immortality, excuse me, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first, and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, the Jew first, and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. God's kindness, His generosity, will not be confined by race, nor will it be defined be confined by socioeconomical class. It will not be confined by socioeconomic class. 
In other words, uh, and that's again, that's one of the thoughts that was on the disciples' minds as they saw this interaction with the rich young ruler. They put the rich young ruler on a, a higher class, a higher scale. He was blessed by God. But no. No. Socioeconomic class has nothing to do with your blessings and glory. Socioeconomic conditions has nothing to do with how much God is, is favoring you or not favoring you. God cares nothing about your wealth. He cares nothing about your position in society. In fact, Jesus shows over and over again that he came to, to totally re redo all of that kind of thinking. He came to reach sinners. In fact, we have in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, records the, the calling of Matthew. Matthew, who was also called Levi, Matthew was sitting there at his tax collector booth, and Jesus came along and says, come, follow me. And Matthew got up, he left his tax collector booth, and he came and he followed after Jesus, and he invited Jesus into his home. And of course, as he was excited about this conversion experience, excited about meeting Christ, excited about all of this, he went out and told all of his friends. All of his drinking buddies, all of his other center tax collectors, prostitutes in the neighborhood. He told all of them, and they all came, and they all came into his house to eat with Jesus and see Jesus and meet Jesus and hear the message that Jesus had to teach them. And it says in Mark chapter 2, verses 16, that the Pharisees and the, or Pharisees and the scribes looked at Jesus and they went and asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he eat with the scum of the earth? And Jesus heard it and he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to the righteous, and not that they were righteous, but they thought they were righteous. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners, those who know they, their, their sin and know their need of a Savior. That's who Jesus came to minister to, no matter where they were on the social scale. No matter how much money they had in the bank, Jesus came to, to those who know they, knew they needed help. Those who knew they were completely lost and bankrupt had need of a Savior. Jesus, uh, God's generosity is not confined by, by race. It is not confined by socioeconomic class. And third, it is not confined by experience or maturity. It is not confined by experience or maturity. That was the complaint of these workers. We've, we've worked, the, we, we've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. We've been through it all. You're going to make them equal to us? We've only been here an hour in the evening time when it's cool and nice. You can thank that of Peter and John and all the disciples. That certainly was on their mind. What about us, Jesus? 
We've left everything to follow after you. We've left house and home and family, everything to follow after you. We've, we've slept in the dirt. We, we've been called names by the Pharisees and the scribes. And you're going to make us equal to someone who hasn't done all of these things? You see, experience and maturity, they're great. They're wonderful. And we should always seek to live after Christ and to, to follow Christ, whatever it costs. But dear friends, when we get to glory, you're not going to have a higher position in heaven because you, were, uh, you did more than someone else, your brother and sister beside you. Praise God, we're all going to receive that heavenly reward. We're all going to receive that glorious eternal life. God's generosity is not confi confined by race. It's not confined by socioeconomic class. It is not confined by experience or maturity in the faith. So God's generosity will not be confined by human standards of worthiness. Second truth that we need to understand, God's generosity is extended to all who respond positively to his call. God's generosity is extended to all who respond positively to his call. Notice that the, the, the common factor between all of these workers, they all responded positively to the master of the house's call. The master of the house, this landowner, this farmer, he went out to the marketplace. He said to the first group, go into my vineyard. Go into my vineyard and I will pay you. He said to those who went out the, the third hour and the sixth hour and the ninth hour and all the way up to the eleventh hour, go into my vineyard. And every single one of them obeyed his call. They heard his call and they obeyed his call. They responded positively to his call. They didn't, they didn't tarry. They didn't tarry. They didn't argue with him. But they responded and they were obedient to his call. Dear friend, all who respond positively to the God's call, the gospel call, will receive eternal life. Jesus ends this parable here. Again, you see this ending. So the last will be first and the first will be last. Just like up in, in uh, chapter 19, verse 30, but many who are first will be last and, and the last first. He just reverses the order, but he's saying the same thing. What he's saying is that, that everyone finishes together. Everyone finishes together. That's what happens. The first becomes last, and the last becomes first. And so in, in the kingdom economy of things, everybody is brought together and everybody crosses the finish, finish line together and everyone, everyone who responds to the gospel receives the prize of eternal life. Dear friend, you may be here today and you may be thinking, you're not worthy. 
You're not like the person sitting next to you. You haven't spent your whole life in church. Maybe you have problems that you're dealing with, sins that you're dealing with. And you're thinking, there's no way, no way God would ever reward me. There's no way that God would ever give anything to me. I'm not worthy. But may I remind you of the thief on the cross. He spent his whole life living in sin and died the death of a cursed man. A, right, a righteous death, a rightful death for his life of sin, his life of, of evil. And yet there on the cross, he turned to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. He received the reward. He received the prize because he responded to the gospel. He saw Jesus, recognized him as Lord. And there on the cross, received Christ. David Berkowitz is one of the most notorious serial killers in, in American history. Most of us probably know him as the son of Sam. During the years uh, between 1976 and 1977, he, he killed more than six people, or he, killed, he murdered six people in New York City, claiming that a demon-possessed dog gave him orders to do so. But you know what? Ten years into his sentence, his prison sentence, someone there shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with the son of Sam. And one night, one cold winter night in 1987, the son of Sam was reading a Bible, a Gideon New Testament, someone had given him. And as he was sitting there alone in his prison cell, reading the scriptures, his heart was turned to Christ, and the son of Sam became the son of hope. He gave his life to Christ. And now, even, he, even still in prison, he serves as a chaplain assistant telling other people about Jesus. You're saying, you mean the son of Sam is going to receive, this, receive the same eternal reward that I'm going to receive? You betcha. You betcha. He received that eternal reward just like I received that eternal reward when I received Jesus Christ into my life. He will receive that eternal reward just like each and every one of you will receive that eternal reward if you receive Jesus Christ in your life. Indeed, the Scriptures tells us, but all, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. To everyone who receives Jesus Christ, He's given the reward of sonship and daughtership in the kingdom of God. So 
But God's generosity will not be confined by human standards of worthiness. And God's generosity is extended to all who respond positively to his call, the gospel call. Now some may be thinking, you mean to tell me that old David Berkowitz, a convicted serial killer, is going to receive the same eternal treasure that I'm going to receive in glory? And you're thinking, just like these workers here in this passage said, we're thinking, that's just not fair. It's not fair. Now, if that's your thought, please, dear friend, please heed the warning of this parable. God's generosity calls Christians to be generous. God's generosity calls Christians, calls you and me, brothers and sisters, to be generous. Notice what he says there in verse 15. I, am I not allowed to do what I chose to do with what belongs to me? And look, notice this phrase here. Or do you begrudge my generosity? Now, your passage, your, your scripture there may read something a little bit different that because of the, the Greek is a little difficult here to translate. Literally, what he is saying here is your eye evil because, of, because I am good. Is your eye evil because I am good? Now, one commentator notes that the evil eye was sometimes thought of in terms of miserliness. And that may well be in mind here. The grumblers were not complaining of some evil action that the householder had done. They were not saying that they had been cheated out of the wages they had agreed on. They were objecting to an act of sheer generosity that he had displayed toward other people. In other words, they were saying, that's not fair. That's not fair. They were displaying jealousy and despising this household owner, this landowner, for his generosity towards others. And you see, dear friends, if that is our thought, instead of praising God, when people like David Berkowitz give their life to Christ, instead of praising God for his generosity towards sinners, we complain... That's not fair. And what we're real saying is that we're jealous of God's generosity. We despise God for his goodness. Same is true when churches get this idea and this mentality of competition among themselves. And you look out at this church who's doing so, so much better than our church and say, it's just not fair. It's not fair. We've been here longer than they have. We've done more than they've, they've done. Why are they receiving such blessings? When we say that, we despise God for His generosity and His goodness. As we look at other churches around us being blessed by God, seeing doors opened, 
Seeing the lost come to know Christ and hearts changed, lives, families renewed. Through the ministry of God and other churches, we should praise God for all that He is doing. We should celebrate. We should celebrate with Bonita Road. We should celebrate with Faith Baptist. We should celebrate with all of our brothers and sisters who are out there working alongside us, not against us, but alongside us in the kingdom work. Not be jealous, but praise God for His movement. Oh, dear friend, because of God's generosity, we should be that much more generous. Dear friends, jealousy should not ever, ever, ever be a characterization of a Christian. In fact, hear this verse in Romans, excuse me, Romans chapter 13, verses 13 through 14. There Paul says, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Notice this, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He puts quarreling and jealousy right in the same category as orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality. It's all sin. Debase sin. An abomination before God. And we cannot allow jealousy to be named among us as followers of Jesus Christ. Christians must be generous and celebrate all the victories of God that He shows us. So the three truths that we see here, God's generosity will not be confined by human standards of world, world worthiness. God's generosity is extended to all who respond positively to his call. And God's generosity calls Christians to be generous. In the end, the first will be, the last will be first and the first will be last. In the end, praise God, we all finish together. In the end, we all receive that eternal reward in the kingdom of God. We all get to sit beside Jesus and fall down on our faces and worship Him face to face. Praise the Lord. We all finish together. And we all receive that heavenly prize. And the pure fact of the matter is that when we get into the kingdom of heaven and we see Jesus who alone is worthy of worship and honor and praise, all of these human uh, standards of, of worthiness will completely disappear because these standards will be before us. And we will praise Him and honor Him. And we'll think nothing of all of this mess, sin, the sin of jealousy and greed, all of that will be wiped away. Oh, what a day that will be. When my Jesus, I shall see. When I look upon the face, the one who saved me by his grace. Oh, when he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. Oh, what a day. What a glorious day that'll be. Oh, that we will look forward to that day. Perhaps today there are those here 
whom you don't know Jesus. You've never experienced the generosity of God because you don't know Christ. You've never been introduced to Christ. Maybe you are one of those. You, you think yourself unworthy. And you are unworthy. But God loves you anyway. God loved you despite your sin and your unworthiness. And He loved you and He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to cover your unworthiness, to cover your sin and your shame so that you might become a child of God. Dear friend, if you are here today and you have never received Jesus, you have never turned to Him and surrendered your life to Him, the call goes out to you. He died on the cross for you and He was raised again so that you might be reconciled to God. If you believe in Him, He will save you. If you believe, nothing else to it. If you believe, He will save you and make you a child of His kingdom. Will you receive Him today? Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your generosity. For Lord, we know if You were not a generous God, we broken sinners, we defiled sinners would forever be lost. But Lord, You loved a poor sinner like myself. You died on the cross for my sins so that I might be saved. Oh, Lord, Lord, never allow me to be jealous of your generosity towards others. Remove all that jealousy from my heart. Remove all sense of jealousy from the hearts of all the hearts of our church. So that we celebrate your goodness, your kindness, your generosity. We celebrate the work you're doing all around us. And we look forward to that day of glorious reward in your kingdom. Oh Lord, if there's one today who does not know Christ as their Savior, oh Lord, may they receive him today. May they receive the message of the gospel and give their hearts to Jesus. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.